how quickly does your dollar transfer in white communities and Jewish communities? It's fast. Like, for example, if I have a dollar, you can have a dollar, Charles can have a dollar, and that same dollar is going to be flowing quickly. Whereas, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for that community. That means that you said the dollar is always being used in some way. It's always being exchanged. No one's necessarily losing. It's being exchanged. It's being transferred. In our community, the velocity of the dollar is extremely slow. So that means that people are keeping their dollars and they're not using it in a way to stimulate the economy. I'm not giving it to you because I don't trust you and I don't think you'll use my dollar right. And the whole world doesn't want me. They don't trust me. So I'm just gonna keep all my money under a mattress. So because of that mentality, it's more difficult for our communities to even grow. But yeah, I love that, the transferring of the dollar and always keeping it active. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Oglesby and Scott Show. Yeah. This podcast holds the belief that business and investing are team sports. We drop gems to help you turn your capital into generational legacy. We're sharing with you the best stories of successful African-American business owners and entrepreneurs. This episode is brought to you by 24-7 Watches. Shop our limited edition luxury watches at 247watches.com. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y. 47watches.com. Use code Todd Capital at checkout for a special discount. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at 247watches. That's at T W E N T Y 47watches. And now, here are your hosts, Miss Flipping in Heels, Rashawna Scott, and Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby. This is the Oglesby and Scott Show. My name is Charles Oglesby with Mrs. Rashana Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm blessed. Doing better than I deserve. Rocking my new headphones. Uh, uh. (laughs) (laughs) So for all the guests, thank you all for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of successful African-American business owners and investors. With us today, we have an actual podcast alum. And Miss Ashley Copeland, she is in the DC market. She's a real estate investor and she's also a stock market investor and a fashion enthusiast. Oh, goodness. Welcome to the show. Hey, y'all. It's so much fun to be back. Hey, everybody. Super fun. That's a lot. That was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So let's jump right in. Um, We obviously won't discuss your background because we talked about that before. So this is version 2.0. And so um, what I want to ask you is, um, but for those who may not have caught your previous episode, um, so you purchased your very first home when you were, what was it, 24? Yeah, 24. For my 25th yeah. birthday gift to myself, but I was 24. Nice. And then you immediately bought your next property the next year. The following year, yes. So what is that look like? Because for a new investor, that could be a lot or that could seem like impossible. So how are you able to um, accomplish that at such a young age? Yeah, definitely. So the first thing I did, I my first go around, I had money saved. So I actually did put down 5%, but with closing costs and everything total, it was about 10% of the purchase price, which was around $20,000 or so, a little bit more than that. But that was really from waiting tables. It was from saving money like vehemently over the years, like just from 16 until 24, just saving a lot of money. And the following year, I actually took money out of my Roth IRA, which I would not recommend. In fact, I would not recommend my methods at all to people 
to purchase my second property. I would never, like, there's anything I, I won't say regret, but I would do over and tell people who are interested in buying a home for the first time, please don't use your own money or if who use very minimal. Like people like you, um, Rashana, do a really good job of giving people those resources. I didn't know anything about that. And I think it's also really important to find a real estate agent who focuses on first-time home buyers and who focuses on, on making sure that you are not spending more money than you need to. Because this is high, especially in my market. DC is overpriced. I said it. I mean, we, first of all, when you said 10%, you know, that mm-hmm. is a lot. Um, even just, you know, the actual dollar amount of 20 grand at 24 years old, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, that's pretty uncommon. Um, so kudos to you for being able to do that. Um, but you have Charles. <laughs> Well, I was just, I was going to ask you what's changed since we last spoke, because I think it's been about a year and a half. Yeah, it has. And I, yeah, that's, it's crazy. So when we last spoke, I was just starting with Facts in the City, which is my brand to teach first generational professionals how to better manage their money, how to invest their money. So since then I have left all my jobs. I'm doing this 110% full time. Right. And now I'm doing um, courses on how to either budget your money or how to invest in the stock market. So for me, I really want to focus more on educating people. Education is the most important thing for me. Um, but, you know, to be honest, I want people to know too, like this is definitely a journey. Um, there have been times that I haven't been earning a lot of money. Even now, I'm not earning nearly as much as I used to from working multiple jobs and always hustling. So I've spent so much of my time into this. I've forced so much of my energy. And like you said, it's been a year and a half. So for people out there who do want to either pursue entrepreneurship, they need to know that this is definitely, it's a road. It's a nice, long, paved, not so paved, just kidding, road, but it's worth it because you see, you really do see the seeds start to sprout. It takes, it takes time. Mm -hmm. So you have the podcast, you have about 80 episodes of your podcast now? Yeah, she's, she's lively. We have some, and we have some really amazing guests as well. We had, um, a woman, Michelle Brown of the Greenwood Cultural Center, basically talking about Black Wall Street, what it was, how it formulated, the height. And we actually didn't spend too much time on the actual massacre. We did obviously spend time about how it started, but I really wanted people to get a picture of what wealth in our community looked like during a time that I would argue we were we were the most oppressed in the 20th century. I won't say of all time. So it was really great just to hear her describe these affluent African-Americans in this district. So one of my favorite episodes I've done. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, Can you, what were like the biggest takeaways from that episode? Yeah. So first, um, I would say that getting the stories of the people from Black Wall Street is a relatively new phenomenon. I think they started um, taking oral stories in the 90s. And mind you, this happened in 1921. So people didn't want to talk about it. They said they had a lot of issues finding people because it was so painful in their memory. So it took time for them to really get those stories. That was one of my, my the biggest takeaways. Also, the way it started was allegedly a black man hitting on a white woman. Something as we, you know, we would think minute as that, but this is what also happened to Emmett Till. This happened countless, countless times of people, of black men hitting on a white woman. And then all of this is breaking loose. So I thought that that one small detail I thought was really interesting to set this entire community ablaze. And also she said, you know, Tulsa, um, the black community is very poor now, um, or it's, it's, they're still working to revitalize and really invigorate the community and have them understand their history. So to, to hear how, how affluent it was versus now, even though there aren't necessarily the same type of barriers, 
was really disheartening. But you know, she really she she broke that down too. It was it was so great just hearing her story. So so great. I gotta check that one out. Oh yeah. Nice. Oh my gosh. Definitely. Definitely. So tell us about your course. So you teach about what your course is. So you have one set of courses where you um, focus on budgeting and then you have another set where you teach investing in the stock market. Yes. So if there's anything I've noticed, the people that come to me, they really do fall in two major buckets. And one is there's a hot mess with their finances. And I'm just, I'm just going to say it like it is. They're earning a lot of income. That's one thing. They're earning a lot of money. They're either first generation college professionals. Um, they graduated from college. They have the careers that they thought they were supposed to have. But they're still living like they were living back in the day when they were, oh, yuck. Sorry, I'm having flashbacks. But they're still living paycheck to paycheck. They're still struggling financially. They're still like, I don't know what's going on. So I noticed that trend. So I wanted to create a class for those people to learn how to better manage their money and start saving at least 5% of their income instantly. That's really the goal to start saving and being more cognizant of your money. If you are a first generation professional earning a relatively high income, and I consider that at least $50,000, you can definitely play with that no matter where you live. And the second bucket, which is my favorite bucket, it's my favorite, I said it, are those people who do have that, that high income and they have money saved. They, they're pretty confident with the way they manage their money, but they just don't know what to do with it. They have no idea what to do with their money. They know they're supposed to save. They've heard about investing. They don't know where to go. So for me, I love real estate. And I used to work at Morgan Stanley. Um, so I know about the stock market. And I feel like there's so many amazing people such as you, Roshana, who know so much about real estate. And I think are doing a really great job of talking about um, how to invest in the real estate market. I'm like, well, I don't think I need to, to provide that type of guidance. I really want people to start thinking about the stock market a little bit more, especially people who look like us. So I wanted to, I'm creating a class that really talks about the stock market. It'll be four topics of discussion from goal setting to what it is, how to pick a stock, all that fun stuff. And I think of people particularly who are um, living in cities like mine, DC, who live in New York City, LA, really high. Maybe they can't afford a property there in those cities. Maybe it takes more work. Investing in the stock market can give you similar returns if you know what you're doing and how to do that. Hey ladies, this is your co-host, Roshana Scott. And are you looking for a community of women real estate investors? If so, I wanna take a quick second to share with you Infinity Membership. Sorry, fellas, but Infinity Membership is a women's only online community for newbie and experienced investors. Come let your hair down and join a non-judgment zone sisterhood where all of your questions about investing in real estate get answered. This is also an opportunity to learn from the best of the best. Other seasoned and successful women in the industry share their success tips often. Our live group sessions are twice a month and we support each other daily within our private Facebook group. Our sessions range from driving for dollars to working with contractors to out-of-state investing, raising private capital, marketing your deals, and so much more. Does this sound like something that you've been looking for? Well, we would love to have you. For more information, visit us at bit.ly forward slash infinity membership. Again, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash infinity membership. So these people that have this money saved up, yeah. but they aren't, they aren't investing, what's the biggest hurdle for them? Why aren't they out there uh, trying different things? Yeah, I would I would say it's two two things, two major things. And the first one is definitely fear. I get that one's the big one. Fear. What if I lose all my money? That's real it's fear, comma, what if I lose all my money? That's what I get from people. 
And the second one would be this overwhelming, like they just don't know where to start. I think people talk about the stock market all the time. They're throwing numbers out and they're throwing this and that. You're watching CNBC and something's tanking, this and that. And they're just like, I don't even know where to start. I'm so confused. I'm so overwhelmed. So it's just easier to take a step back and save your money. People want, people don't like a lot of risk in their lives. And this, if you don't know and you're scared, no one's taught you, then it'd be very overwhelming. I definitely understand that. So how do you help your students get past that? How do you help them get past the fear of investing and get past feeling overwhelmed and not knowing where to start? Yeah, well, for the, the fear piece, particularly, you need to understand where this fear came from. And I had to think about that as well. Like I remember when I first I signed $10,000 check at 21 to this man who's a stranger. I never knew who he was. They just ushered me into this room at my bank. And I remember being like anxiety, being so scared and throat was nodding. I had issues. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I gave him my money. But I'm like, well, where did the fear come from? And I'm like, okay, people who tell me they're going to lose all your money. I'm like, well, who are these people that are telling me that? My grandfather, my dad, random people, people who've never invested in the stock market. They're the ones who are telling me you're going to lose all your money. It's like, okay, well, how do they really know if they never experienced it themselves? And then I started reading a lot. The more you read, you really get this whole world of people who aren't losing. They're not losing their money. They're just not, they're not talking about it because the stock, the stock market doing what they're supposed to do. And then I think about the history about it too. The stock market's been around since honestly, since around slavery time, since I would say the late, um, the late 1500s, early 1600s. I mean, someone's winning from it. It's been around that long, you know, might as well give it a go as well. Yeah. But, but the, the, and the thing there is like, even if they are losing from it, they can at least share their lessons. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's the fact that when you're reading about people who have invested in the stock market and they have that experience, like I said, they can share their losses, they can share their lessons and they took the risk and, you know, they're obviously, they they worked through it anyway. I mean, they wrote a book, right? So (laughs) I know a thing or two, right? But they took a chance. And I think that is one of the main differences between, you know, those who are telling you that you can't and those who are telling you that you can't. It's almost like the rich dad, poor dad method, right? Yeah, Which we definitely. all are familiar with. No, def- I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree with that. It's, it's different being in like you said, someone's world and they're telling you what happened versus someone who has zero clue and they're just like, oh, it's bad. I definitely agree. And the funny thing is those people who do lose and like you said, they're sharing their experiences learned those from their lessons and then they ended up gaining in the long run. That's another lesson that I've learned too. So it's definitely a long-term, long, well, you know that it's a long-term game. But like the interesting thing about like, quote, losing all your money is usually you can kind of see it coming. You can identify what company yeah. isn't growing. It's likely going to yeah. be out of business soon. It's going to be in the news. So how, how common is it for you to lose all your money? How likely is that to happen? I mean, honestly, Charles, I don't think it's that common. I, I, I don't, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors that determine how well a company does. And some have nothing to do with the company. For example, politics has a lot to play. The government has a lot to play with, um, factor into how well a company does. But the stock market has been low four or five-ish times since like around 1900. And it always bounces back. So it depends on how much time do you have for it to bounce back. And I think with 2008, the reason why it was so devastating 
is that there are people who were retiring at 60, you know, 55, 60 years old. They don't have time for the stock market to bounce. They didn't have that time. That's what made it that particular moment so devastating. But for the person who is in their 30s or 40s, then they don't have to think too much about it because they, they have to trust that the stock market is going to bounce back. Typically, if you're that kind of person who's that up in age, you'd want to start kind of positioning your portfolio where it's less in equities. Absolutely. And more something that's more fixed like bonds. So if you're 65 and you are about to retire and 90% of your portfolio is in stocks, you're just asking for it. You can't even really blame the stock market in that point, in that period. Mm, abso- abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And exactly what you said. If you understand those strategies, like you said, asset allocation. I know maybe maybe some over some people said, but asset allocation. If you understand, like you said, where your age is versus what you can invest in based on your age or what your goals are. Like you said, it's very difficult for you to lose. It's very difficult for you to really lose that money. I completely agree. Completely agree. So you mentioned that there are a lot of factors that go into uh, determining whether a company is doing well or or failing or um, or you know whether or not you should invest in it. So what are some of the most common factors that you look at? Like you mentioned, like politics being one of them. Mm-hmm. So I personally, um, politics wouldn't be the highest on my my list. Honestly, it is a factor for sure. Like for example, if a president turns over, usually the market might shift a little. That's happened um, in 2016. I think it ha- it happened in 2008 um, during the bailout. It happens. But um, what I look at mostly is the company's balance sheet. So long story short, a company is a person. It's, it's a regular person living their best life. Just think of it that way. And just like a regular person has finances, so does a company. If in your personal finances, you are spending more money than you're making, that's not good. And the numbers are very clear for a company as well. You can go on Yahoo Finance for this information. It's, it's extremely public. That's the point. It has to be public. You'll know very obviously if a company is spending more money than they're making. That's easy. So that's the one thing I would I check to see if a company is doing well. Uh, another thing that I do that's really basic is I'll Google a company that I'm interested in. And literally, I look at squiggly lines. I look at how the company has grown in the past year and then it started. And if there's a steady upward trend, then to me, I'm like, oh, well, if it's an upward trend since 2005, it's probably going to be an upward trend in 2025 as well. So you have to use the numbers to to trust that everything is going to work out in your favor. That's how I think about it. And I'm not a math, I'm a history major. I am not a math person. I hate number crunching, but the numbers really do work. Your fear doesn't. Like those things don't work. Yeah. I was going to ask you, are you are you using any particular like ratios or formulas or is it just as simple as they're spending more money than they're making and they have more debt than they have assets? Yes. So I I have used price earning ratios in the past. And in my class, I might teach about that. Probably not. I really want to keep this as simple as possible for people. I think um, an average investor, your everyday investor doesn't want to know about that. Like I think it's important to incorporate it. But honestly, there are people out here making plenty of money and they don't know anything about that. All they do is Google index funds. They're Googling Vanguard and that's it. They don't, they're not thinking anything else. They're just punch it again, giving it a year and they're seeing the returns and just keep adding money. So I don't want to overcomplicate it. But for me, those are the, the very simple methods that I use that I've seen um, success in. I really, I really have. I like that because one of the reasons why our options course has done well is because you don't have to learn a whole new language. People know Apple, they know Tesla, they know Facebook, they know Amazon, they know these yeah. companies. 
And so now we're just attaching an option to it, which gives you a greater ROI. And so the reason why that's important is because in stocks, the same is true. These are companies that you know, you buy from, you go and you see them every day. You know, Walmart has a line out the door, Costco has a line out the door. Yes. Obviously something's going on well for yes. those companies. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. But it's funny, people, it's so funny. We don't, as, as consumers, connect the dots to that. We think just because, well, if you're always in Target every day buying stuff, well, and like you said, you see a line, well, someone's making money, you're losing money, but someone's making it. And if they're making it, then if you actually buy a piece of that, you'll be making money too. You'll be, mm -hmm. every time you spend money in Costco, you have to feel so bad about it because part of the money that you're spending is going to be going toward your portfolio in a way. I completely agree. You shouldn't feel, if you're invested in that company, literally invested in it, you might as well take it to the next level and actually buy a piece of ownership in it as well. Yeah. Every time I fly Absolutely. Delta, I'm like, I'm like, this is my Delta. <laughs> <laughs> you own like 0.001%, but it right. doesn't matter. Doesn't even matter. It's mine. It's mine. <laughs> yeah. And when you talked about like standing in the line at Costco, um, you know, whether you're the consumer or the owner, I'm reminded of the um, something that I read and I probably mentioned it on the podcast before stating that money is actually never made or lost. It is simply transferred. And yes. so ownership is about um, obviously getting in position so where more wealth can be transferred to you, right? Um, because you like, it, and like you said, some, you know, your loss is someone else's gain, but it's really, there was a transfer, there was a transaction there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the loss, you know, whether it was looked at as a loss or not, I guess it depends on what side of the ownership you're on. Yes, for sure. And it's so funny you mentioned that. I relatively recently learned about this concept of velocity, the velocity of money, the velocity of your dollar. In fact, I think actually the Black Lives Movement, um, particularly with George Floyd, really um, brought this conversation up to light. But how, like you said, how quickly does your dollar transfer in white communities and Jewish communities? It's fast. Like, for example, if I have a dollar, you can have a dollar, Charles can have a dollar, and that same dollar is going to be flowing quickly. Whereas, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for that community. That means that you said the dollar is always being used in some way. It's always being exchanged. No one's necessarily losing. It's being exchanged. It's being transferred. In our community, the velocity of the dollar is extremely slow. So that means that people are keeping their dollars and they're not using it in a way to stimulate the economy. Or I'm not giving it to you because I don't trust you and I don't think you'll use my dollar right. And the whole world doesn't want me. They don't trust me. So I'm just going to keep all my money under a mattress. So because of that mentality, it's more difficult for our communities to even grow. But yeah, I love that, the transferring of the dollar and always keeping it active. I have a theory, and it's that when you bounce a dollar, it kind of amplifies that dollar. And so you take a dollar and you multiply it by it as many times as it bounces within that community. Mm -hmm. So that actually amplifies the wealth because that same dollar was used to buy groceries, was used to buy pay employees, was used to pay their rent or their mm. mortgage. And you can amplify your wealth just by keeping your money in your community. Um, what kind of stock market investing have you been doing personally? Mm -hmm. 
So for, okay, my, my investing story for me, I started, I remember calling people, random people asking them to invest my money. This is like, like 20 years old and no one wanted to manage it because I didn't have enough. And I was I'm like, what do you mean? It's a lot of money. I thought it was a lot, but for them, it's not. So initially for my Roth IRA, I have, um, I have, I had someone else pick all my stocks for me. And to this day, I still have that the same stocks that this gentleman picked for me 10 years ago. I still have that. So, um, so for me, I'm like, Oh, but he was also getting money from that. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story that we can obviously talk about. But now I created a Robinhood account and I've started building my portfolio. I'm building it slowly. And I just want people to understand that because again, I'm not earning my income is not as high as it used to be because I'm focusing on stocks in the city. So I have a list of stocks that I'm, I plan on investing in or I already have. And I just do it slowly. I'm investing in that slowly. So I'm still investing in my Roth IRA because that's priority. But my Robinhood account is the stocks that I've chosen myself. Super exciting. So for me right now, my portfolio, I have VOO, which is an index fund that, is the, that tracks the S&P 500, the type of Vanguard. I have, um, oh, I have Delta. Yeah, Delta Airlines too. That's so funny. I have Weight Watchers because I actually read earlier this year, um, ever since Oprah took over Weight Watchers, which has been around since the 60s, ever since she took over, she's changed it more to wellness than to um, like just losing weight. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And that's a very trendy topic now. So I'm like, okay, that's something I want to invest in. And I look at the numbers. They seem pretty good. And then um, I invested in, what's my last one? I'm missing one. I missed, I can't remember the other one. I mean, oh, Carnival, Carnival Cruise Lines. I took my mom on a Carnival Cruise when I was um, 20 something for her birthday, for her 50th birthday. And Carnival's doing really badly right now because of coronavirus. I'm like, well, I looked in the past, they weren't doing well in around 2001 because of the September 11th attacks. The CEO says that this happens in their industry. I'm like, okay, if that happens to you, I'm going to invest in you. So that's what I have so far in that portfolio. Yeah. Carnival Cruises, I own a thousand shares and I'm up 24%. Yes. And I like that stock because they've been through a few crises. Crises. Mm-hmm. They crises. have. Is crises. it Caesar oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's crises. I don't even Oh, goodness. Right. And they continue to bounce back. And I love that resiliency in a company. Yes. Yes. And it's the, I like how you describe it because, again, companies are people. You want to be with a person that's resilient, that bounces back. Even if they're down, they're going to get back up again and they're going to be back stronger. I think um, I like, like I, said, I like to think of my stocks as people and I read their stories and their history when they started, why they start, who the CEO is, what they're saying about their company. Do they have the numbers to back up what they're saying? And from there, if it looks good, if I like you as a friend, I'm going to be your friend. If I like you as a company, I'm going to put money into you. It's that simple. Yeah, I nice. love it. So I want to talk about, um, so in your introduction, Charles called you yes. a fashionista. Which is so, hilarious because Lord knows today. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh, what happened today? You bought some red no, bottoms? No, no, Lord, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm just saying, my, the look today is definitely not fashion week. It's, you know, almost bedtime. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quarantine. It's quarantine chic, yeah. Quarantine chic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the the double standard that you believe mm-hmm. that is um, in the fashion and um, professional industry. Absolutely. So a lot, it's funny, um, I think people online today are like, oh, Ashley, you're really stylish, this and that. But my friends and my family are like, Ashley wears oversized sweatpants and bonnets all the day, all day. 
that's how I was before. That's another story for another time. But I do, I love fashion. I have such an appreciation for the art form. And more importantly, the message that you can convey with what you're wearing. You can make a huge statement, a political statement, a fashion statement, a personal statement based on what you wear and how you feel that day. I think that is so powerful. Actions speak louder than words. And to me, fashion is a symbol of an action. Um, so I've been, okay, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But for me, I do love, I love luxury fashion. Do I, I don't own any luxury pieces, by the way. I have, I don't feel like, I've never felt like I'm financially equipped for it. It's a very mental thing. Obviously I am, but I, it's very mental for me. But I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't own those pieces, but I definitely plan on getting one before, um, in probably like early 2021, quarter one, 2021. So I said that, I'm like, I definitely want this Chanel bag. I want a classic flap. I love this piece. I love the story behind it. And it actually does grow over time. I think um, the company Chanel, which is a private company, we can't purchase stock in Chanel. They do price increases, I would probably every eight-ish months. They go relatively fast. And at one point, they were 6400 and then it turned to 7100 I'm like, okay, wow. Like, If you want to buy an expensive item, a piece like Chanel, like a Chanel Classic Flat will be worth it because it will hold this value over time. Like, You can find bags there from the 90s that I think are worth like $4,000. And those bags came out 30 years ago. That's ridiculous. Whereas a car depreciates, what, like 30% once you drive it off the lot. A bag appreciates over time. That's crazy. And at one point, they do, they beat the S&P 500, which is an index fund that um, tracks the most profitable stocks. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm telling people that. And people get mad. Long story short, like, how can a person talk about money all day long? Want something that's so frivolous. It's frivolous. It's silly. It's a waste of your money. That's what I'm getting back. I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. And even I, I get people like, oh, I would never wear that to work. Like I get those things. And then it's so funny. Actually, you, Charles, you're like, you know, I forgot what your tweet was. It was so funny. I'm like, this is perfect timing. You're like, oh, I got to get the Rolex. I'm like, hmm. But it's seen as power. It's seen as you've made it. You've arrived. It's a status symbol. Like it's, it, is a, it is a symbol of your financial success. Whereas for women, it seems like it's just you being frivolous. I'm like, wow, it's a very interesting how it's a double standard because Again, men can have a Porsche. Again, a really nice suit. Symbols of your success. If I were to wear labels, it's seen as frivolous and a waste of my money. And I just find that very, very fascinating. And I, I've been doing a little bit of research on it, but I don't find, I haven't found too much about it. But I thought it was very interesting. I don't think it's a double standard. I mean, I think there's a double standard, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. If you have all your financial ducks in order and you're not buying it just because someone else told you to. It's not, that's not smart either. Hi, how are you? I am Andre C. Hatchett, 15-year mobile notary pioneer and veteran. We have created the Notary Business School, which will show you how to start a successful, long-term, needed business as a mobile notary public. Well, with 15 years of experience and with different downturns in the economy, we have labeled this business as being recession-proof, meaning that you can run this business in any climate, any city, any state in America. On average, our students make between 60 and 200 $150 per appointment, which usually takes under an hour. I'll say that again. On average, our students usually make between $60 and $250 per appointment as a mobile notary public. If you would like to enroll and save a few dollars, go to the website, millinotarypromo.com. That is millinotarypromo.com. Look forward to seeing you in class. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's your girl Erica Williams from the Classy Climb blog. I'm a six-figure YouTube earner and the author of the book Smartphone Millionaire, how to lend to people 
real estate, and businesses from the palm of your hand. And if you're interested in the three things that changed my life over the past four years to become a six-figure YouTube earner and investor in multiple properties in multiple states, I would love for you to join me over at the Classy Climb YouTube channel. This episode is sponsored by Hood Estates. Hood Estates is offering a Hood Estates Elite Real Estate Investing Program as well as a Hood Estates Trekking Program. All the details can be found in the show notes. You can also find them on Instagram at Hood Estates. So I, I would say that people would still see me buying like a $10,000 watch as frivolous. They would be looking at me like, you could buy a $20 watch or a $100 watch. Yeah. And so, but I feel like it's all about shaping mindset. And I was listening to a podcast today and he was talking about how like the only liability is our mindset. And so mm. I never even knew that all these purses appreciated in value. But I do know that when I was in college and I was looking at Louis bags for my wife, they were $1,000. And now they're 15 mm. and 16 Yeah. And so if we educate people on understanding that these things that cost more actually are better quality, are longer lasting, and also are going to appreciate in value, then when you see somebody with these things, you'll actually know that, no, they're actually making an investment. It might mm-hmm. look silly and frivolous to you, but this is actually maintaining the wealth. I was like, if I buy a Rolex, that's my son's watch. So I'm mm-hmm. aware, and then it's going to go mm-hmm. to my son. Yeah. So I think I can agree with that. I agree. Rashana, how many expensive items do you have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a nice, a nice purse. Um, a few, not a lot. <laughs> since we're on the topic, since we're on but the topic, wait a minute, I got them on sale. <laughs> uh, I don't have any Chanel right. bags though. I no, Chanel is uh, out of my price point <laughs> for yeah. sure. But prior to just Chanel prior doesn't to act- go on sale. <laughs> doesn't go on sale. Prior to actually even breaking all that down, I had no idea that they not only increased their prices, but increased them systematically. So I was yeah. literally ignorant. I just saw this bag cost. How much money? That's crazy. Right. I think in yeah. 2011, or I think 2011 is like 4000 for example. I think, I think, don't quote me, but it was around hovering at that price. I'm like, that is insane. Thing. and people yeah. are still buying it that's wild there's so many ways um like uh, i if and when i i decide to make that investment i will more than likely purchase it on the secondhand market so i'll buy it from uh, like a pre-loved consignment shop that way i'll be saving like seven or two thousand dollars off of the price for me, I don't need something that's brand new. I don't need something that's not what I want it for. I don't mind it being used. Although these wealthy people, they they barely use those bags. Anyway, yeah. I don't mind it being used or older. I like the, the style of it, the fashion design, but I'm not going to be spending all of my hard money if there's an opportunity to get it for a lesser price. And it's the same designer. It's legitimate. It's real. All of that. I'm always, I'm cheap through and through. But it's funny, I think um, I grew up in rural North Carolina. I grew up with a single mom and um, like my mom worked two jobs and we still live below the poverty line. And so many ways, I still have that mentality to this day. Like I said, I had, I do have an opportunity to make those pieces, to invest in those pieces, but it's really hard to do that. Like you said, well, why would I do that when I can get a $100 bag that's really great quality that will probably last me a long time? Or, you know, my mom needs, she's living at home right now alone. There's a lot of things that she needs. It's a very, to me, it's very selfish. I even feel that way mentally to want that when there's so many other things that take priority. And I think that's what's prevented me, honestly, from making those those leaps um, over the past few years. It's still that mentality of being 
a little poor girl in North Carolina. And that's the that's the breakthrough. And when you start kind of getting into that space, you realize that it's just a different world. Yes. And so when you start looking at Rolexes, like Rolexes, you can't even really buy like brand new stainless steel GMTs or any of that stuff. It's mm-hmm. all for the most part secondhand. Mm-hmm. And so and so you have to go to a dealer or you have to go to either StockX or Goat or one of those websites. Um, but they all cost a lot more than what, because if, if you go to the actual like Rolex website, the watch will say like $8,000, but then you actually go buy it in the secondhand market and it's actually $12,000. So it's more expensive and it's only going to get more expensive. And not only that, the GMT-2 that, that they're selling right now, that's selling mm-hmm. for, let's say, 12000 But then the GMT-1, which is the older one, which you would think depreciated, is actually like double the price. So it's, it's more expensive than the first one. Yeah, and it's so supply and demand also. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the way I see it, I see these things as you're storing your value. So worst case scenario, I can always sell the Rolex. I can always sell the Panerai. I can right. always sell whatever if it, if it comes down to it. Yeah. Right. And I think also the thing is how you make the money that you are investing with. Right. So obviously those um, who have a wealth mindset and most entrepreneurs, you know, for the liabilities that you want in your life, then you're you're going to create an asset that's going to pay for it. So it's not like it is your sweat equity or like working capital. You're you're usually investing in something that's going to pay you to invest in that thing. Right. Yeah. Um, And so I think that also plays a major role into this, because especially, you know, when it comes to something that is whether it's a Rolex or a, a nice car or whatever it is, like if you say, okay, I want X and X costs X amount of dollars, then I'm going to go and do X that will produce the income for me. So literally you created that opportunity. You created, you earned that purchase, right? You earn whatever it is that you want, that you wanted. You, you went and got it and you went and figured it out. So I think that's another way to help alleviate that guilt that you're going to feel because you didn't, it's, it's not like, it's not like you had to put it in a lot of sweat equity to get it. Maybe you mm-hmm. did, but, or, or maybe, you know, in the beginning, but and at the end of the day, you created something that was going to pay specifically for that. Yeah. Yes. I feel like we should strike the organ up right there because you were preaching. Want more money to pay off debt and increase your income? I'm Terry Egioma from Invest with Terry, and I teach an online course on how to invest in the stock market for daily or weekly returns. My seven-step strategy saves you time and erases the guesswork from trading. With these seven steps, I've earned over $16,000 in a day without having a large account. Start big or small, these proven steps will increase your profits and decrease your losses. To learn more, visit itradeandtravel.com. <laughs> yes. She said sweat equity. I almost had to put my, my, my church towel out. <laughs> yes. I was I was gonna ask you if if you think we've kind of become financial literacy snobs because we see things and we're like, well, that's a liability. We don't buy those. We only buy assets. <laughs> And you know what? I started when I said liabilities, I, I, I almost stopped myself um, because the conversation that we just had was how it could be an asset. Right. So I think it's the same conversation. So, oh, your personal residence is a liability. But I stand up and say, no, mm-hmm. it depends on how you buy it. Right. If you're yep. buying at the top of the market and you don't have any equity, you're not in an appreciating area. 
then yeah, mm-hmm. your house might turn around and be a liability, right? But if you are going in and you're buying a property where you're adding value, maybe you're going in and you're renovating that property and now you have some equity in it and then you can turn around and do um, like a HELOC, you can pull some money out of your house, you can turn around and invest in something else with it. Like now you're leveraging that your personal residence and you're able to create other opportunities out of doing that one thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I was going to no, ask I, you if um, I was reading somebody's Twitter and they were like, I want to buy a Lexus, but I'm not sure if me <laughs> not, buying, not buying this Lexus is an indication that I'm being intelligent or I'm just thinking with the poverty mindset. Mm. And Maya, Maya Ellis, she responded and she said that sometimes you got to do things for yourself knowing that it's going to inspire you to do more. So what are your Hmm. thoughts on that? I mean, okay. I don't, I like that. But again, I think it really depends on, like you said, what this person's using that car for and why they're buying it. Cause I, I have a love-hate relationship with cars first. Like cars, like that's a whole nother, like, okay, really quick. It's so interesting how we're talking about these different like facets of spending money or luxury spending because they all have different nuances. And for me, a car is, you got to be really careful about like your intention behind buying a car and why and the type of car you're buying. Because I think there's a way for, like you said, Rashad, for it to be the top of the market, super expensive. But then there's a way you can actually get something really nice that's used, that's already had that depreciation happen, that immediate depreciation, and then you're just rolling and it's super nice and new. So for me, I'm like, well, or you can lease it or you can lease a car and then you, you know, it's a hundred percent right off. Wait, I really, I didn't know, see, I was always told to stay far, 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 far away from leasing. Yeah, but I was too. I don't know. Early yeah. Old. Yeah. I was too from people who never drove a luxury car. Okay. So I feel like, I feel like we've been lied to our whole lives. <laughs> yeah. I was told that too. Like every, Teach me. Every, like everyone around me growing up owned their cars outright. And it was like exactly. a goal to never have a car note again. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. But as I got older and I shifted my mindset, right. As far as thinking about different opportunities, because like you said, like, yes, there are different nu- nuances to what we spend our money on. But mm-hmm. that Lexus that that individual wanted to buy, what if, you know, they're using it to do whatever they want to do, you know, throughout the week, Monday through Friday, or maybe they're working from home Monday mm-hmm. through Friday, and they're really only driving on the weekend, but Monday through Friday, they're renting it out on Turo. And, you know, they're cash flowing on that every month, they're able to pay their car, no pay their insurance mm-hmm. and cash flow and drive a luxury vehicle on the weekends when you need it. Like, there's so many ways in which these quote unquote liabilities can be turned into assets if we if we think about it that way. Well, you know, it's so funny. I think, Charles, you you mentioned something that was that really got me thinking, too. It's like, well, it's a mindset shift or it's a you're entering another world. Like you said, like the way that you're thinking about it, um, Rashana, I think is a whole nother world of how people of just this group of people that like you said, we weren't raised around, we weren't exposed to. Even now it's hard for me to wrap my head around that, even though I am a money person. But it's just another world. It's another way of looking at things, another way of executing and having those luxury purchases but being smart about it. And also it's for me it's well, how can I make sure that I am servicing the audience that I want to service without coming off as, like you said, either a money snob or this is a whole other world that they don't even, they're not even interested in being a part of. They don't care about being a part of. Like, how do you find that balance, you know, that cutoff? I'm like, whoa, it's so cool. So before we head into the final questions, I have a new segment of this show. It's called, <laughs> what's, on your, it's called what's on Your IG. 
And, What's on um, my IG? I, okay. I, I went through your Instagram and I saw some cool posts I wanted to ask you about. You can kind of just expand yeah. on them. Oh, this so, is going to be fun. Okay. <laughs> the first one is says, I hate when people say go vote. Oh my gosh. I do so much. So obviously now we're in election year and definitely is crunch time. And you see celebrities, you see people, you see any clickbait telling you just to go vote, go vote. It's a pet peeve of mine because there's a lot of steps that it takes to physically go vote. You can't just show up in on that Tuesday in November, because I don't remember if it was on the third or the fourth or the second. I always get that confused. But you just can't pop up and expect to go vote. It doesn't work that way. You have to register. And not only that, registering is different based on your state. There's different rules. There's different regulation based on your state. So I want people to know that you have to register first. And if you don't know where to start, here are some resources that I've found to be helpful. And like I said, I, I'm registered to vote North Carolina. I don't know your rules if you don't live in North Carolina, but I'm sure I can find a resource for you to get there. So I just want to give people that liaison between going to vote and actually what you do so you can physically be at that ballot box on Tuesday. Another thing you said is debt costs more than savings. Mm-hmm. It does. So particularly, this is for those who are either saving money or they they think they have a lot of money, but they don't. And um, a lot of people don't want to pay off their debt. They have a lot of money in savings, enough even to cover their debt service, their debt, but they don't want to pay it. They're scared for some reason because they don't want to start at ground zero. I'm like, well, your debt accumulates at a much faster rate than your savings rate and even you physically putting money into savings. Debt varies between 3% to 25% if you have credit card debt. And think about that. You're accumulating 25% interest every month versus that little cute savings account you have. It's probably accumulating 0.02%. Yeah, you may have that money saved, but it's an illusion. It's really an illusion. You got to put pay off as much debt as possible first and then you can work on building that savings especially that credit card debt and the last one before we go to the final questions is mm-hmm. you said you will lose money in the stock market mm-hmm. you will so i said that because i really want people to understand where their fear comes from and to alleviate that fear so if the, if the biggest reason why you don't want to invest in the stock market is because you lose money well you're gonna lose money so now that you know that now what are you gonna do And I say that because the stock market consistently ebbs and flows. It is always changing. When the market opens at nine o'clock tomorrow, it's going to open maybe, let's say a stock is $40 and two cents. Well, half a second later, it's going to be $40.03. And then maybe another half a second, it's $40 even. Well, guess what? You lost money. You lost two cents. So now what are you going to do? You have to think about it that way because... It's increments. It's not a big picture. It's not like you have forty dollars and tomorrow you have zero. You, you're gonna. It's like a small little increment. But obviously, if yeah. a lot of money, you'll, you'll see that more. But if you don't have a lot, you ain't gonna notice that. Yeah, I feel like the best way to kind of counteract the ebbing and flowing of the stock market is to continue to add new money into your account. Yes. So as you're adding new money, if it's down, that's a good thing because you're gonna buy more stock for less expensive. But then you're also increasing your account balance which is going to um, be a psychological win for you as well as the stocks continue to run up. So um, (laughs) one of my final questions is what does success mean to you and why? Yes. So success to me means, I would say, being happy with what you have, obviously wanting, wanting more, but just being happy where you are at this very moment. 
I think success means being loved and being around people who support you and want you to be great. Yeah. That's what I know, right? <laughs> I like, there we go. Yeah, that's all. What is, that's what I got. <laughs> what's your favorite um, business, personal development, or real estate book? Say, I think my favorite is Afford Anything because she was the first person that I, the first blogger that I read about that really inspired me to purchase my first home. And I used to read I should have been working on this poor man's. I was his assistant. I should have been assisting him. I was busy reading about her. Farnoosh Tarabi's uh, So Money podcast really, really, really inspired me a lot too. Poor thing. I got fired from that job. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Who is somebody that you look up to and why? Um, I would say two people. Oprah, of course, because I love her story. I think um, you know she's a she's a black woman from Mississippi. At the end of the day, you know what I mean. You think about you just think about what that means. Um, that's all. Like I don't have to think about any of her other accolades. I just think she is a black woman from Mississippi. Period. If if she can do go that far in her life, then I know I can because I didn't start where she did. So I definitely mm. my number one. Well, up there. My other one is my mother because. Um, my mom took a lot of risks for my siblings and I. She became a single mom. Like I said, she worked a lot of hours for us, still living below the poverty line. And my mom still, to this day, always has a smile on her face. She, I've never heard her complain. I've never heard her say anything negative. She has nothing but positive things and super encouraging for all of us. She worked two jobs and she still managed to make it to all of my um, band events, plays, graduations, even stuff that I do today, despite um, everything that she's been through. So definitely inspiration to always be positive and keep moving. And the last question is, what sets apart successful stock market investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Yes, they keep going. They don't, they take risks and they keep going. They look at, yeah, take risks and keep going. Leave it there. That's it. <laughs> where can people find you? Where can they follow you? And where can they support what you have going on? Yes. So they can find me. I'm mostly hanging out on Instagram, but I'm trying to tweet more. So it's at Stacks in the City, S-T-A-C-K-S, the letter N, the city, T-H-E-C-I-T-Y. I have a lot of free, free resources on how to better budget and how to invest, take your money to the next level on my website www.stackandthecity that's all spelled out .co and having my um, stock market investing course you can learn how to invest in the stock market pick stocks that you will use for the rest of your life no matter what your financial goals and how you start it and that will be debuting really really soon so definitely get on my mailing list for that so thank you for coming on the show thank you Um, I'm so glad to be I'm so glad to be back such an honor such a privilege What's going on, podcast listeners? This is your man, Donald The Voice, the official editor and podcast producer of The Oglesby and Scott Show. And listen, I just had to come in and tell you that we appreciate your listenership. And I want to give you a special offer for listening to this podcast. If you have voiceover, podcast, or video editing needs, let's talk. You can go over to DonaldTheVoice.com forward slash contact, and I'll be happy to talk with you about what you need and how I can serve you. You want to sound good and look good so that people can feel good and do good as a result of listening or watching your content. And I'm here to help you make that happen. So let's talk. Go over to DonaldTheVoice.com forward slash contact, and we'll talk. Have a good rest of the day. Day, evening, morning, whatever time it is, and I'll talk to you soon.